I want to read to you today from the book of Mark, chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately that they were th- what they were thinking, and he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up and pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked through the stunned onlookers. I want to just say for a moment there, they didn't make room for him to come out, but they did make room for him to go, or come in, but they did make room for him to go out in this setting. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have things that you want to say to us, Lord, things that you want to remind us of that are principles in your word today. I pray that you take the word of God, your thoughts, Lord, and this book, the Bible, your love letter to us, that you'd take it to our hearts and we receive it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're emphasizing small groups with the couch you see behind us and the sign-up that we're having today. And I've chosen this sermon that I'm calling Building Relationships That Are Through the Roof. We just read the text about the man being let down through the roof by some friends who loved him. I find it interesting that these days we're losing the 20-somethings. Are you aware of that? The millennials, they say. So they graduate from high school, they go on to college, they hear a a bunch of hullabaloo that, uh, you know, about religion in the secular universities, and they don't return to the church quite often. And it's been at alarming rates that this is happening. Well, I have uh, read a story this week or an article about five reasons millennials stay connected to the church. And you might be surprised that the number one reason, or maybe you're not surprised, is relationships. If they establish strong relationships with people in the church, not just their own age, but but people who are older as well, then they are twice as likely to return to the church. So what we're talking about, friendship, relationship today, is hugely important. Here's what the Barna Research Group said. The millennials, or 20-somethings, who stay in church are twice as likely to have a close personal friendship with others in the church. 59% of those who stayed reported such friendship versus 31% among those who are not active. Relationships that are through the roof have the following. Three things I want to share with you today. Here, Here are these guys bringing their friend to Jesus, and people who are great friends understand this. They have an understanding that Jesus is the answer to all of our needs. Hospitality was the basic rule of law in the, in the Middle East when this story was written. So 
probably Peter's house. They're not sure, but they think it might be Peter's house where Jesus is and all these people are gathering. And um, they don't have to have an invitation because you can go over to anybody's house anytime because of that rule of hospitality. So when they hear Jesus, who's been doing healing throughout the region, who had been there previously, is showing up, they just come to the house without an invitation and they jam pack it. They're looking to hear the words of Jesus, who they think is a prophet. They don't know he's the Messiah yet, but they know he heals. And so they just jam the place and the paralytic and his friends, they can't get in. Mark 2, we'll read it again. Jesus returned several days later and the news spread quickly that he was back home and soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They knew, these friends, and we, we know they're friends probably and not servants because the type of mat that is mentioned, the Greek word uh, speaks of a bed that is for the poor. So this is probably a guy who doesn't have the means to say, hey, get me there to his servants. These are probably relationships and friends that he's pretty closely connected to that love him and they're trying to get him to the right place. And they know real friends, the best friends, relationships that are through the, through the roof, know that the best thing to do is get your friends to Jesus. It's nice that you're there. And we'll talk about that because God wants that. It's nice that you care. But the best thing you could do for people is help them find Jesus, help them get to Jesus Christ. And if you love your friends, your touch is nice, but it's not as good as the touch of Jesus. It reminds me of that Sunday school story, and I've told it before, but I like it, about um, a teacher drawing on a board, and she drew a squirrel, and she was a good artist, so it was vividly there. And she said, somebody tell me what this is, and all the kids wouldn't speak. She said, well, can't you see what that is? Nobody said anything. She said, Billy, tell me what that is. And he, she, he said, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure looks like a squirrel to me. <laughs> and ultimately, no matter what your issue is, no matter where you're at in life, what you need, what I need, what others need, what our friends need is Jesus more than anything because he ultimately is the answer for everything. He's the answer to your marriage getting better. He's the answer to your workplace, starting, the peace starting to come there. He's the answer to whatever it is you face because he loves you so much, he'll bring you around to the place of wisdom in the word and the leading of a spirit to see good things happening. Before Jesus healed this man's body, I think it's significant that he spoke peace to the man's heart by announcing that his sins were forgiven. I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that forgiveness and salvation is the greatest miracle of all. It's the one that has lasting results. People get healed, but then they die, right? Again, eventually. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle because it meets our greatest need, eternal life, peace in Christ. It brings the greatest blessing. It's the one with the most lasting results. And what God needs more in his church today are friends that are stretcher bearers. People that will get the, the lost and the hurting to him, bring them and lay them at his feet. We need to carry our friends to Jesus. Some of you, <clears throat> a few of you know that my daughter has gone through quite a trial uh, physically these last couple years with Graves' disease. And she developed a, another complication out of that called thyroid eye disease. And that's where the eyes push forward and it caused tremendous physical pain with migraines and 
double visions and her eyelids wouldn't close all the way at night, uh, not to mention all the emotional pain that that would cause in a young lady when those things are happening. And in the midst of this, she's trying to break in her career as a mainstream artist. She feels that God would call her into the mainstream to be a minister there. And one of the songs she wrote, I want to read it to you today because she found at this group called Pursuit, and that's a group of millennials that love each other, care for one another. Pastor Roger leads that group, college um, through, through career age young adults that, that are single. She found there some friends that really blessed her life and helped her through the hard time. And she's mostly on the other side of it now as God has helped her. To, she, she's been through five eye surgeries and 10 radiation treatments this year. And look what she wrote about her friends in one of her, one of her songs that are on, that's on the album. It's a song called My Friend, and she said this. I laugh, you laugh. I cry, you cry. And I don't understand, but God knows I need you, my friend. I fall, you pick me up. I call, you're there when I barely can stand. You never let go of my hand. Why? I know you love me, but why? I've never done anything to earn or deserve you. But God knows I need you. I hope you know I'm so thankful, thankful. You see past the good and the bad. You see me for who I am. That's in essence what was happening when this guy couldn't get there himself, his friends carried him. They put him at the feet of Jesus. We all need to experience that because listen, no matter who you are, you're gonna have some tough times. Jesus had tough times. Moses, David, Ruth, pick, pick the person of God in the Bible. They had hard times. We need God and we need people who carry us to Jesus when sometimes we don't feel like we can get there ourselves. We need each other. And God would have us to know, let's take our friends to Jesus and not leave them behind. Second thought today, friendships that are through the roof care enough to take time and action for friends. Verse four, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head and they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. They were deeply concerned about their friends, so concerned that they didn't just pray. They moved. They moved their feet. They took some action. They put feet to their prayers. The roof in those days was a flat earthen roof roof rather, accessible by a stairway usually. That's the way the homes were built in the day of Jesus. It was usually compromised of support rafters that they would lay out and then they would put branches, dried branches on top of those support rafters and then they would cover it uh, with dry mud and pack it. And thus the terminology they dug through the roof because they're literally digging through the dirt and the leaves to open that roof up to let their friend down somehow between those rafters. Now imagine this. I'm just guessing that that wasn't a normal occurrence in their, their day either. It would be weird to see someone working on your home and you know, lowering someone through, right? It was weird then too. It wasn't an everyday occurrence. It must have been like this, a room full of people packed in, Jesus speaking, and they, they're feeling something dropping on their head. They look up and dirt drops in their eye. Think, what has happened? Then a hand comes through, you know, and they're like, 
What? Someone's disturbing this godly service we're having. There, there must have been these thoughts. And then they make a hole so big it had to take some time. I don't know, five or ten minutes. What are these people doing, saying, experience? Does Jesus keep talking? I don't know what's happening. But they dug a hole big enough to put their friend through. And then what must it have been like? A little bit of anxious feeling. How do you drop all four corners all the way to the floor without dumping the guy on his head? I don't know how this happened, but I imagine there are people like, oh, hey, you know, he's, he's coming. And, and they drop him right at the feet of Jesus. And imagine the couple who owns the house. Hey, that took a lot of time and money to do that. I don't know if these guys promised they'd help. Honestly, I don't think that was their first thought. Their first thought was getting their friend to Jesus. Getting him, at, getting him, getting him to the feet of Jesus, and they took action. Willing to spend time and energy. Now, here's a question for us. Are we willing to spend time and energy for our friends, for people in need around us? Sad to say, but every one of us, including myself, if we're not careful, we get too busy to help. And if our schedules are comprised in such a way that we can't help our friends who are in need today, then we're too busy. God wants us to have time to minister to others, not just to be ministered to. And in these small groups, one of the things that's so wonderful is you care for one another. Now, in a church this size, it's, it's large compared to the average church in America, which is 150 people or so. The pastors can't get to everybody. Now, I know it's common to call on the elders of the church, the Bible says, and have them pray for you. That can be in services. That can be beyond. But the truth is, we can't get to everyone. And here's what the Bible says to church leaders. You are to equip the people of the church for works of service. One of the works of service is that we would minister to one another in hard times. And if you're in a small group, why do, we, why do you need to be in a small group? I, I hope you remember two things clearly. Number one, you're going to have a hard time someday and you need people and they will be there for you. They'll know when something goes wrong because you'll let them know. The other reason is they need you. Please don't overlook what you can mean to people who are hurting. How you can bless and help them. So today, Pam Priest uh, and John, who have not been able to leave, she had to have a surgery on her nose, they're going to Cambodia soon, but this morning at 10 o'clock, she's having a surgery. It's an emergency appendectomy. But in, in the, and so pray for her, she might be in surgery right now. But, but you know, before I mention that this morning, do you know every one of her small group members already knew about it? We got the, I got a text, I'm not in a small group, but I got a text this morning, or an email from John, rather, and, but everybody in the small group is already praying. I had m many of them raise their hands this morning and say, yeah, we know we're praying. And they're going to go too. And I want everybody to have that where in a moment where something goes wrong, people are there for you. I want, I mean, jo the, John the, um, uh, the disciple, uh, John the beloved, the history says that he would sit on an island in the island of Patmos as an old man and say to people over and over again, little children, love one another. Little children love one another. That's just history that records that. I think God would just remind us all the time, love one another, be there for one another, care for one another. And it can be very frustrating for me as a pastor to hear that someone left the church because they had a sickness or some trouble and no one came. Well, let me tell you something. If you don't call us, we may not know. If you're not in a small group, 
we may not know. But it'd be impossible if you're in a, in a small group regularly attending and sharing with one another not to know when you need prayer for those hard things. And so we're all to minister to one another and God wants this. And these guys knew their buddy's need and they got him to Jesus. They took physical action. We see physical action with meals going out as the small groups take care of one another and care and concern in so many ways. Sharing of funds so that people can get through a hard time. All these things need to happen in the body of Christ. Always remember that God wants us to do life together, not alone. You may be strong in the Lord. You may have some good maturity, but you know, maturity would, would cause people to know that they need to stay closely connected to a group of believers so they, they can help and be helped. We need each other. That's what these small groups are about. That's why we're asking you to get involved and sign up. Get your friends together and make a new one. It's okay. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. That's a negative. Alone is not good. That's what the Bible's saying. Two can stand back to back and conquer. Husband and wife, that's a good thing, but it's not the best thing in here. You want that, right? Husband and wife, you need to walk together in unity. That's awesome. I mean, that's a good thing, but a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Now we're getting into a small group. We've got three involved. One person is easily overcome. Two is better, but not as good. Three is a rope that's woven uh, together in such a way that it's best and it's strongest. Being a loner, there's, there's not wisdom in it. There's no wisdom there. Have you heard of Aaron Lee Ralston? He survived a canyoneering accident in southeastern Utah in 2003. Do you remember? He's the guy who was all alone by himself out there on a journey repelling uh, a cliff. He fell some distance and his arm got lodged between two big boulders when he fell. He finally realized he'd have to take drastic measures five days and seven hours in. No one out there drunk, had drank all of his water, took drastic measures and he took out the only knife he had. It was dull and he cut his own arm off from the forearm and then uh, scaled down that, uh, descended down to 65 feet more down the cliff to reach safety without his arm. And there was an autobiography called Between a, hard, a Rock and a Hard Place, rather. That's a good name for that. And there was a film where James Franco starred in it. Do you remember that? Called 127 Hours. That was the five days and seven hours. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's incredible that that happened. But here's what I read this week. This fella... Aaron Ralston has become a motivational speaker. I read that and I thought, he should only really have one message. I have a little bit of a problem with him being a motivational speaker, but if he is, he should only have one message. Don't go out alone. That's the message. Because if you have a friend with you, they go get help. They get a tool. They, 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 they bust out the rocks around it. They get a helicopter coming in there. He's not going to lose his arm if he's got some friends along with him on the journey. And if we don't go on the journey with some friends, we're going to find ourselves between a rock and a hard place someday. And I don't want you to cut your own arm off, spiritually speaking there. I don't want you to be so wounded and tracking about all by yourself in the wilderness and the desert. God wants you to be connected with people who love you and who'll be there for you. 
Proverbs 18.1 says this, a recluse is self-indulgent, snarling at every principle of conduct. The moral of the story is don't go out alone. Do life together. Go on the journey together with people. Third thought today. They were people that knew Jesus was the answer. Those are the best friends. Those are the ones who really know what makes a difference. They were people who took action, but they were also people that believed in prayer and they had faith for their friend. You know, sometimes our friends are in such a tough place that they, they, they find it difficult to have faith for themselves. I mean, I've been there with family members who've endured something for years of separation with, with, with family. And it hurt so bad, it was hard for them to believe. And so I was going to believe for them. I've seen people who've been put down and had so many troubles in life that it's hard for them to believe. I believe God would call us alongside to believe for them and with them because they can't believe for themselves sometimes. I think we see it in the text here. Mark 2, seeing their faith, that's the faith of the friends. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Down to verse 10, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. There are people who will say that it takes faith to get healed and there's no doubt about that. As a matter of fact, it says in Matthew 13, 58, and Jesus didn't do many miracles there in, in one region he was in because of their lack of faith. It takes faith for healing. But it's, there are people who, who blow that out of proportion and distort it as if it's a cognitive ability to think positive enough so it'll happen. That's not what faith is. It's not being positive, you know, that I know this is going to happen. Faith is saying, God, I know who you are. It's not faith in my ability to think it. It's faith in him. You are good, you are loving, you are for me, you do bring healing, you do bring escape, and, and that's what faith is. Goes on to say in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it, it's the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It's the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us even though we cannot see it up ahead. And I see people get healed on a regular basis who have trouble believing for themselves. I see God do things different than what we think in our own lives with our daughter and some of the things we're talking about. He's building her and strengthening her in ways that that would not have, she never could have known the compassion and love that she's starting to understand. So God has reasons. So he'll either walk through that fire with you or he'll deliver you. That's how good he is. But faith is trusting him. It's asking and trusting and and knowing that some good result's gonna come. It's like this. The Bible says a righteous person will get knocked down seven times, but the Lord will lift him up. It doesn't say if you have faith, you never get knocked down. (laughs) It says the righteous person, this is a godly person, will get knocked down in their life, but, but, but the Lord will lift him up. And that's the way life is. It's a series of ups and downs, and how well you do will depend on how you navigate that. Are you gonna trust him through all that? Well, these guys... Man, I want you to notice something here. It wasn't the paralytic's faith that brought the healing. It was the faith of the friends. Sometimes I just want to say to people, the kind they mean well and they're well intended, but they'd say to people, "If you had faith, you'd be healed." I just want to say to them, "If you had faith, they'd be healed." It's the faith of friends too, not just the faith of the person. 
We need to be careful with that stuff. We need to be loving and compassionate, but knowing God is good and taking our friends when they can't take themselves any further. And when we lift them up in faith, when we believe in prayer and we get them to the feet of Jesus, we'll see some wonderful things happen in lives where healing begins. Their faith moved Jesus to heal. Karen and I, when we were on sabbatical, we had such a wonderful time. Thank you again for that time away. We feel refreshed and blessed and excited about the new day, being here with you. So excited to be home. It just feels cool to walk in here and see everybody. And again, looking forward to hanging out with you this afternoon. While we were gone, we went to several different churches. And one of them was a church where Karen grew up in Dallas, Oregon. I have a picture for you this morning. They were having a a baptism in the river the Sunday we were there. They met in the park and had their service. And at the end of the service, just before the water baptism, a little girl, about 12 years old, I shouldn't say little, an adolescent, 12 years old, got up and started singing a song a cappella. It was the first time she'd ever sang. Her name is Gypsy, and that's her in the river between those two guys who are about to put her down. Karen took that picture with her iPhone. And Gypsy had a sweet little voice, first time she'd ever sang, but there was, it was just silence when she sang. And there was an anointing, and the Spirit of God was there. And I, I, I leaned over to the person standing beside me, I said, she's pretty good. And then I said, and she's anointed. I mean, the Lord, the Lord was just there in a precious way. Then later, with the 10 or 12 that were been baptized, she went down the river, and I was standing on that bridge right there, probably behind that branch, with an older fellow named uh, Merle Haig. Merle had been in the church forever there, loving people, walking with people, caring about people. And it was cool because I was getting play-by-play with everybody that was going down. What had happened in their lives and this guy, you know. I mean, it was fun. They had one guy who who came as a homeless guy. They they put him in one of their storage areas. He had come to Christ. They helped him get a job that week. And now it's several months later. He's going down. And man, it made everything a lot more exciting for me because this is what it's all about, right? And when Gypsy came out, he said, this story is unbelievable. That's her, her dad on the left there. He said her dad was addicted to to drugs. Their family was torn apart and separated. And he came to Jesus. And here's what happened. People in that church walked with him. They didn't put him down. They didn't say, we don't want your kind. They loved him like Jesus loves him. And they walked with him. And now, years later... His kids are being put down in that river. There was more than one. And little Gypsy, that one that I felt the anointing and, and, and could sing like that, had, had, had been walking in a church where people loved her and believed in her, and they are completely transformed as a family. And that is what it's all about. Can we love hurting people? Can we take them to the river of God's grace? Can we walk with each other when we go through hurts and pains? Even when we stumble and fall as believers, can we still care and help people up? That's the way Jesus is. He's not near as interested as where you've been as where he wants to take you. And if the people of God will rise up in love, if we'll love one another, if we'll care for people, if we'll have these open welcoming arms, we'll see amazing miracles like the miracle of Gypsy standing in that river that day. Here's what it says in Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 